Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Welcome into the Otson Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Brain. Eric Scopel is with me as always. And today is Wednesday. That means we are going to be diving into the best questions submitted by you, the Oregon Duck fan, about all things Oregon Ducks. And before we dive into these questions, we've got a bunch of good ones too. Recruiting, team coverage, hypothetical stuff, uh, a lot of good stuff to cover. I want to remind you guys, we're currently running a, a 50% off promotion the next two days on an annual membership. That means July 22nd and July 23rd, you can get in on a 50% promotion to duckterritory.com on an annual subscription. Already saves a huge ton of money. Uh, when you subscribe the annual route, but we're, we're being extra nice right now. And the annual rate gets you even more savings by jumping in on that 50% off promotion. All right, Eric, uh, we, we discussed a couple of these um, a couple of days ago uh, in terms of what we were going to do for a show and uh, got a couple more questions thrown in here. And uh, sounds like we've got a good amount and a wide range of topics and some hypotheticals. I'm, I'm pretty excited to, to kind of sketch out, map out. Yeah, let's, let's start there, Matt, with a question from uh, a DuckTerritory.com poster, Jaster. Uh, he sent me a direct message. And for those of you who are members on the site and, and listen and would like a question, if you, you can always uh, post uh, on Twitter. I, I will a couple times during the week ask for submissions. But if you want to send me a direct message on, on the site, go for it. Um, an, an easy way to get me the information. So from Jaster, what do you think of teams being allowed to scrimmage one of the three teams missed for non-conference this year starting in 2021? For example, make the spring scrimmage a school versus school scrimmage. It would make the spring games bigger, which would mean more money for TV and tickets if they charged. It could also help smaller schools get somewhat of a bigger payday, even if it's not, as, even if, if it's not a normal game. Basketball is allowed to scrim scrimmage, and NFL teams normally do take part in a training camp together. We still get the games without having to wait for 10 years for it to be rescheduled. Hashtag Ots and Audibles. Uh, good question from Jaster there. Matt, does this, does this, how does this catch you, the idea of, I, mean, I guess if, you, if you're thinking about an Oregon-centric, no, probably not hard to choose here. You're picking Ohio State. What, what would you think about, let's say that they play in the fall, Oregon, Ohio State uh, sometime in late April for, for a spring scrimmage. Are you, are you in on that? I would 100% be behind this, and I would be 100% behind this being the norm for spring football. I, I think it's a beautiful idea. It's one I've kind of kicked around myself of, why do we not see Oregon against Eastern Washington for a spring football game? Or why do we not see Oregon versus San Jose State for uh, a spring football game? And, and sure, yeah, you're going to get the occasional – group of five team that upsets the power five team or the FCS team that upsets the FBS team. That's going to happen every once in a while, but it's spring football. And how cool would it be if over maybe they add one additional day 
to this to the allotted time for spring football where it's 15 days of practice or competition and competition is typically tied to a game um, and they make it 16 so that you get seven days of prep and then you play a spring game at home and then you get another seven days of prep and then you go on the road and you play a spring game. So I'm, I'm adding two. Uh, you know, I, I think each school should have the ability to have uh, at least one home game. You can, you can kind of do a, a dry rub of what a travel day would, would partic- potentially look like for your program. So in theory, Oregon could get Ohio State at home this spring for an exhibition game gives us a real clear indicator and, and, and both schools are, you go in and, and you make it clear that, Hey, you want to win, you're trying to win, but at the same time, this is a developmental period. There's going to be some, some parts where we want to play our second and third string guys. Um, and then maybe Oregon goes and, and they play a road game and they, they split the revenue and, and play San Jose state in uh, you know, Levi Stadium in in Santa Clara, and it's kind of a road game scenario. San Jose State gets a big draw uh, because they're playing, a, you know, the Rose Bowl champions in the Bay Area. Uh, Duck fans that are in that area can kind of go and check out the Ducks, and you kind of get to to run through a scenario of what it would be like to to go on the road. Yeah, I love it. Uh, I'm with you, Matt, and, and I'm I'm also with it in terms of can we find a way to not just make this a piecemeal kind of short-term solution to make up for some games that we lost this past uh, in this upcoming fall, but also like yeah, can we make this something long-term? And I, I think you bring up some really good points there of of finding a way to get a marquee spring uh, opportunity to see Oregon compete with some of the best in the country. And with the way scheduling works these days, and the reluctancy, honestly, to to see these type of teams meet on the field. I mean, it, it does take a commitment from both, or, you know, both academic organizations to do so. And sometimes it's hard to get that set up. So you take away the winning and losing from it. You make it a, a, a learning opportunity, like you said, and what you at least get is an opportunity to see some really awesome football players compete on the same field. And I, I guess the one place where you could see maybe some hesitancy, Matt, I don't know if this, if you have any concerns with this as well, is the impact of, you're amping up for an actual game in the spring and maybe you see more injuries take place in some of these spring scrimmages as opposed to what you see in a normal spring game. And we should say you play a normal spring game and and, and you come away with an injury every now and then, but typically the first half is is the ones playing a lot and the second half you see a lot of twos. And and maybe that would be the way you would construct a scrimmage even with a school like Ohio State. But I think that would, for me at least, um, would be the only concern I would have is you just would hate to see a star player go down in a game that doesn't mean anything four or five months before the season even starts. 100%. That, that's going to be the biggest hurdle to, to overcome. And, and maybe it's you, – you treat it like, look, quarterbacks, they're untouchable. I don't, I don't care uh, if Kayvon Thibodeau has uh, an unimpeded avenue towards the Ohio State quarterback, Justin Fields, and he has to let up. He just two-hand touches it, they, they continue to play, and then they go on and on. Um, and maybe the, the, the NCAA comes to an agreement that, you know, look, each player can only play X amount of snaps in, in a spring game um, unless, you know, the roster dictates that. It, sure. it, it, and I guess that's, that's a very loose term, but, you know, you could come up with some kind of plan of starters only are only going to play the, the first quarter and maybe two-thirds of the second quarter. 
And then after that, they're done. And you have to put in your second string guys. And then after the fourth quarter, you know, you're, you're primarily playing your third string and your, and your walk-ons uh, at that point in, in the spring game, if, if the numbers even allow that, um, to kind of just protect guys. And maybe it's, it's kind of like baseball, like with pitch counts. Yeah. Maybe, there's, maybe there's a snap count for, you know, your starters, and, and that's a universally agreed upon number. And that, would, and that, that goes to, I guess, a crazier idea of – we would need some kind of commissioner in college sports, I think. And I've said this a ton of times on the podcast that this is where someone like a commissioner could come in and say, this is what we're doing. Everyone has to get on board because you're asking like 132 head football coaches all to agree to one you know, set of parameters uh, across different conferences, across different divisions. That's very difficult to do. Yeah, I almost – and we're totally spit behind going down the rabbit hole. Like maybe you split it up and you have each – Oregon and Ohio State each have uh, their first team, second teams, and third teams, and you basically split it up into a third of the game. Maybe you split it into two, three periods and you just completely shift away from the quarter system. And the first period is, tw- you know, 15 minutes, seconds, 15, and so on. Or maybe you make them 20-minute yeah. periods. And that p- first period is just ones-on-ones. Second period is twos-on-twos. Third one is, is threes versus threes. And, and you can go, well, at least in the first 20-minute period here, uh, the Ohio State ones were trailing the Oregon ones, you know, 17 to 13 or whatever. But, yeah, I agree. You'd have to find a way to get creative to ensure that you just aren't seeing your starting left guard play 73 snaps and he, you know, ends up – spreading his ankle pretty badly in the, in the quarter and then he can't take part in drills for the rest of spring or he, something even worse happens. So, but it's a fun idea. And I agree that like, this could be something you could see. I, I could see being adopted, not just for kind of a, you know, a piecemeal cir- circumstance here this year, but maybe there's something to explore going forward. Um, probably take a lot from multiple athletic departments to, to sign off on something like this, but I think it's really interesting. So uh, I like the question from Jasper a lot. Would you, would you want to see, basketball is a little bit different in terms of they get to work out with multiple guys with their coaches um, on the floor at the same time in the off season, not a full team, but you know, they do get to do some stuff. And would you be interested in maybe like a August or a July period in, in the summertime where uh, for 10 days, you could get, you know, for 15 days or, you know, you, you could get a, like a mini Pac-12 tournament type setting for a spring, pra- you know, summer practice period where you know, all, the, all the schools descend into Vegas and kind of like a, a blend of spring football, NBA summer league where the, maybe it doesn't have to be Vegas, but they, they go somewhere and for three or four days they practice and they do these scrimmage type, you know, events to kind of just – get a feel for where the team is at through, you know, halfway through their off-season training. Sign me up, Matt. I'm in. I'll, I'll, I, I can be there by uh, August 15th this year if you, if you can get it all organized. But no, I, and maybe, and maybe, to, maybe to avoid some of the – and I know people don't love seven-on-seven seven football, but some people do. Maybe to avoid some of this injury stuff, you go that route, and, and you're right. Maybe, right. maybe you have like a, a round-robin tournament in the Pac-12. Or maybe it's not random. Maybe, maybe you play little group stages, or maybe it's not even a winner – Kind of maybe doesn't even the results don't even matter very much, but it's an opportunity. You televise it. And you've got all of these young freshmen. People are excited to see playing in these in this kind of signature summer jamboree event. And and, and it's again, it's not like full on football. Maybe maybe it's like a seven on seven. But like I think that's a great idea. And I think maybe this stuff the back twelve needs to look at doing because it, if they jumped on this sooner than later, 
um, it would differentiate them a little bit from other conferences. And I think, I think that's a winning concept in terms of finding a way to utilize some of the summer when these guys are already doing their training uh, and finding a way to, to, yeah, to, to turn it into something a little bit more constructive. So I'm all in on that one. I'm all in on Jasters. I guess I'm just signing off on everything. I'd be a bad commissioner. I would need, a, I, I, I'm too much of a yes man. I need a, I guess I, I need to be a little bit more negative or skeptical about some ideas, but I like both of the things we've talked about here so far. All right. Second question from at quack attack 74. Hypothetically, if USC fires Clay Helton, do you see a scenario where Dante Williams comes back to Oregon as part of the recruiting staff, or would he likely go elsewhere? Hashtag Ots and Audibles. Interesting question here from Quack Attack 74. Um, you look at what Williams has done in his career to this point, and he's really jumped around a lot between different schools. And, and, and the reality is he's basically one to two to three to four years at each stop, jump, bump, bump, bump. I, I would be, but he hasn't so far really jumped back to the same school that he'd been at previously. So I guess I would be a little skeptical of the idea of, of Williams coming back to Oregon. I don't know, Matt, do you think that's something that hypothetically you could see taking place or are you skeptical as well? Well, if the USC coaching staff sees a shakeup at head coach, the first, the new head coach, one of the first things he's going to do is probably try and keep Dante Williams on staff. Um, at USC because I, I think if Clay Helton loses his job, it's not going to be because uh, Dante Williams didn't do his job. Um, Dante Williams has kind of impacted the, the way USC is recruiting and they're recruiting at a much better clip now. And it's not all because of Dante Williams, but it, you would be naive to, to say he doesn't have any kind of impact there. And that's also then to say that the new head coach would also have to fight off all whole bunch of, you know, potential suitors for Dante Williams. Um, he would be in high demand, no doubt about it. Would he come back to Oregon? Uh, the only way Oregon would, would bring him back is if there was a position coach open. I mean, I, I highly doubt he would leave USC uh, and if, if, if they had a coaching change to be an off-the-field position coach right. uh, at Oregon when he's going to have a ton of other options. And at, right now, they're, gonna, they're not going to part ways with Rod Chance, who they hired to replace Dante Williams. And you, you asked me, well, Dante Williams is such a good recruiter. Yes, he, he was at Oregon. Without a doubt, he was one of the better recruiters in, in the conference. He's the number one recruiter in the conference this season. But Oregon hasn't missed a beat at all in terms of recruiting without Dante Williams on board and his uh, replacement Rod chance is the fourth best recruiter in the conference. And the only people ahead of him right now are Dante Williams at one Alex Mirabal from Oregon at two and Jim Mastro from Oregon at three. So Rod chance is, is, is no slouch himself. And I, I understand that, um, there has been a ton of press and, and a ton of clippings and positive mojo uh, said about Dante Williams. And I'm not going to try and argue against that Dante Williams isn't a great recruiter because he is, but Oregon hasn't missed a beat with him gone. And Oregon's replacement for Dante Williams and Rod Chance is doing a hell of a job recruiting in Dante Williams's place at Oregon. And, has had his hands on helping Oregon land multiple commitments 
Jalen Davies, you know, a top 150 player in the country. He's helped with Keon Ware Hudson and keep him committed. He's landed the commitment of Jadarius uh, Perkins, the number six player in the country at the Juco level. And he's also added a cornerback and, and Darian Barkins. So, you know, Rod Chance is doing a really good job right now. And to, to, to think of Oregon missing out to Dante Williams gone would just not be the right. I don't, I don't think that's the, what the question was asking, but this narrative that Oregon was in trouble because Dante Williams left has been completely uh, kaput. Yeah, I think it's been debunked. And I would also say, like, if it's – if you you bring up a good point of, like, what role does Williams actually hold on the staff? They just hired Chance. Um, maybe someone like an Andy Avalos takes off or something that opens up some sort of – maybe and maybe someone follows with him and that opens it up. But, like, I, I don't see anybody on the staff that I'm like, push them aside to bring in Dante Williams. I mean, Ken Wilson's been a great recruiter and developer of talent. Joe Salavea speaks for himself and Keith Hayward is – um, I think as valuable as anyone on the staff almost is both a recruiter and a developer of talent. So you're right in terms of like, uh, what's the, what's the, what's the actual route that you would get to, to bring Williams on the staff. And, and, and you bring up another point of like, if it's not as an, as a position assistant, I just don't see a scenario where Williams even really gives that a no. second look. There's no way, he, there's no way he comes uh, to Oregon as a off field coach. And there's no way that that would be his only option. You know, there's, yeah. There, there will be tons of schools that will be going after him. It would be offensive almost to just offer to offer him a, a role like that. So yeah, I, I think never say ne- never say never with anything in this in terms of especially with coaching <laughs> jobs. You just don't know what's going to happen. But I think both of us are very skeptical of a scenario where a Williams would be looking at Oregon possibly and be where there'd be even a job available for him to, to take. So, um, but I, I do like that hypothetical. And, and obviously Williams is somebody who's done a great job at USC. You look up at the national recruiting rankings, yep. Oregon USC are right at the top. So uh, third question from cart M 25, given that diverging decisions about when slash if to play sports by region, is there a scenario where Oregon loses recruits to teams that may play more hashtag odds and audibles? This is an interesting question um, from cart M 25 here. Uh, obviously, the Pac-12 uh, is going to a conference-only schedule, and we might see them. It's, we don't know anything. We don't know the specifics of what the future is going to hold. That could be in the fall. That could be in the spring. Other conferences are discussing other things. Um, I don't know if this is going to impact recruiting a great deal personally because it's like the players that would be on the 2020 rosters for these teams have already signed with their schools. Um, and so I guess you could maybe, and most of them have been, have already enrolled in their schools. And I guess maybe you could find a scenario where the bunch of players would transfer. Um, but if you're looking at 2021, I, I personally don't see how that's going to have really any impact on a recruitment. Um, un- unless that recruit is committing to a school with the intention now of enrolling early on. And I guess maybe that would be the area when we spoke about this on Monday's show of, with high school football being postponed to the spring in California, um, a lot of players are, are eyeing the possibility of enrolling early, I guess maybe in a scenario where Oregon doesn't play as much and a player would rather play in another conference, you could see something strange where they enroll early and do that. But I, I don't think that adds up. How about you, Matt? Yeah, I, I don't, I don't think Oregon's going to lose recruits um, or players towards schools that, are going to play at a different time. Now, I certainly could see a scenario, and we've seen it within the state of Oregon already. Uh, A Southern Oregon high school player has transferred to Arkansas 
he, his family is uprooted and, and moved to Arkansas, a state that said that they are going to play their, their, their fall sports and football in the fall as traditionally played. And this kid is making that decision because he wants to try and, and get uh, a high school senior season in so he can improve his recruitment level. Um, is that going to impact any guys from an Oregon perspective, though, in terms of leaving college, you know, leaving high school and, and going to college and switching their commitments from Oregon to somebody else because they're playing in the fall? No, I, I, I don't see that. Um, you could, I could, I could very loosely see a term in which um, a fringe NFL player who is playing on a team in college and it's his senior year and they say, you know what, we're probably not going to play football in the fall. We're going to wait till spring. The NFL says they're not going to move back their NFL draft in 2021. I could, I could potentially see that college player, that fringe guy who needs to play in the fall to be able to get reps and be able to have film and show his improvements before the combine in February, before the traditional draft in April. Um, that I could potentially see. A guy trying to grad transfer to somewhere that's going to play in the fall in hopes that he can improve his stock a little bit. And that, that would make some sense, right? Um, and it'll be interesting, I guess, to see if that is a scenario that takes place. And a lot of it's going to depend upon what these conferences choose to do in the coming weeks here. And we'll have an idea by the end of July is what the Pac-12 has said on, on scheduling. And I think that's going to be really interesting to see where they land on that as well. All right, let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Awesome Audibles podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, welcome back to the Ots and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, and Eric Scopel is with me as always. And we're doing our mailbag edition, and that's where you send in your top questions we give our answers and our opinions and we flesh out uh, all of your interesting discussion points. Three questions in, three more to go. Fourth from at Sagadek underscore 75. Hey guys, Phil Steele just rated the Pac-12's linebacking cores and had Oregon State listed at number one and Oregon at number two. How is that even possible? I know I have green and yellow glasses, but this seems way off. Hashtag Ots and Audibles. First, I would just say that uh, I don't want to like get in the habit of critiquing other rankings. I just feel like that's kind of not my place. But I will say I can I can understand Phil Steele's argument here when you look at what the schools have returning. 
Um, Oregon loses Troy Dye and Bryson Young. That's two of its starters. Oregon State brings back its three top tacklers, and they're all linebackers. And one of those players is Hamilcar Rashed, who uh, led the nation in tackles for last last year in the second in sacks behind Chase Young at Ohio State. So um, I, I can't sit here and say I think necessarily Oregon State's three linebackers that they're going to start next year are going to be better pro players or just better individual players than what Oregon has from a talent perspective. But I also get it from like Oregon's replacing two starters. The guy they have back has one year of starting experience and then Oregon state at least has a bunch of guys who were productive last year, albeit on a not very good defense. And I think that is a place where I could maybe, if you want to gripe, you can just gripe about the fact that Oregon's defense was so much better than Oregon state's last year. And even though Oregon loses a Troy die and a Bryson young, two really productive seniors, got a ton of talent and you look at the, what they brought in this last class with five-star talent those players are certainly have higher upside than what Oregon State has with, with their guys but at the same time I, I can kind of understand that argument with Oregon State just given the fact they do bring back three guys with a lot of experience uh, Matt does this does this one irk you um not necessarily I mean the Beavers their first group their first unit at least is pretty loaded um right. I mean you men you mentioned Hamakar Rashid uh, led the nation in tackles last year. Uh, he is going to be an NFL draft pick, a high NFL draft pick. But then their projected other starters are all pretty good. I mean, Addison Gums is a former top 150 player in the country, a four-star recruit. Uh, he, he originally, I believe, played at Oklahoma before transferring to Oregon State. He was – ranked as, a, as the ninth best defensive end in the country um, coming out of high school. Omar Spites uh, was a player that played his prep football until his senior year in Pennsylvania and uh, had a Penn State offer and a couple other Big Ten, um, you know, Northeast level offers, but a, a solid player, three-star inside linebacker, you know, the lowest of the group. But, but then Avery Roberts was, you know, another four-star linebacker that transferred from Nebraska to Oregon State. 184th best player in the country coming out of high school, eighth best inside linebacker. Um, I don't look at the Beaver linebacking core individually and say they're terrible. And I, don't, I know that's not what the question was saying, but this is their probably their strongest unit out of, out of everything. And it, even bad teams are going to have some really good units. And I, I think while Oregon State isn't a team that's going to contend for the Pac-12 North title and isn't going to – uh, win the Pac-12 conference. They also aren't the Oregon State of three years ago when they won, what, one or two games the entire year. Uh, it wouldn't be far-fetched to see Oregon State in a bowl game or to go into the month of November where they need to win two games and they get bowl eligible. Or they need to win two games and not only are they bowl eligible, but they, they lock in a winning season. Um, so I, I, Oregon State's getting better the talent level is increasing because Jonathan Smith, their head coach, is recruiting a lot of high-caliber transfers uh, from other Power Five schools that are that are leaving their original places. Um, comparing it to Oregon, though, like I understand that that Justin Flo and Noah Sewell are both five stars. They were the number one, number two linebackers in the country last season. Um, I understand that Mace Funa had a really good freshman year for Oregon. I understand that Isaac Slade. Moatia is, you know, a superstar in my mind. Yeah. But they but, lost their best player on defense last year, and that's Troy Dye. And um, at, at the at the linebacker position. And so that group's naturally going to take a hit because Flo and, 
and Sewell, while highly regarded, they haven't played it down yet. We we can't just assume that they're the best linebackers in the country uh, without playing a down of fo- college football. Yeah, this is a ceiling versus the floor thing a little bit. Exactly. Oregon State's floor is is probably a lot higher than Oregon's right now, but the ceiling for Oregon with just the talent they have, it's just out of the stratosphere. So I think this is a thing where, like, I don't have a problem entering the season, but my guess is that if, if things play out the way they could, best case, Oregon will undoubtedly be re- regarded as the best linebacking core in the Pac-12. And, and they'll, but they'll have to earn that just because these are young players, like Matt's saying. Like, you know, I, I, I don't think we can annoy Flo and Sewell, the best linebackers in the Pac-12, just because they're the highest-rated linebacker recruits. Um, Oregon State brings back the most highly decorated player in Hamakla Rashid. So uh, I think an interesting point there and, and a good little discussion is just about Oregon and Oregon State and, and that rivalry. And I think we saw it last year. It was a pretty competitive game, um, and, and Oregon State was was battling for bowl eligibility. I think that the two programs are, are – Oregon's obviously on the ascension, but I think Oregon State is too, is what I guess what I'll say. So um, fifth question, and I just realized, once again, I've let Quack Attack 74 sneak a couple in here, so we won't let you – I guess our question I asked last week, but this is his second question of the show. Any chance Oregon or the entire Pac-12 will play a round-robin-type season? I know UCLA is the only team not on the tentative schedule for the Ducks at the moment. Um, that's not totally true. Utah's not on what Go Ducks has as a schedule. I know there's our Utah site is, has reported that, that that game is a possibility or a likelihood, but um, you and I, I have not reported that, and, yeah, and we haven't we haven't reported that either. So I don't want to I don't want to be too negative about our own outlets reporting, but I I just don't think the report that was put out by Steve Bartle. I'm not I, I'm not saying I don't believe that Oregon at Utah isn't happening. I just don't believe that's the only, that's all that, 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 that they're doing. There's more to the story that we just don't know yet. Yeah. Well, and then, so I guess on that lines, Matt, what do you think about if, if Utah might be there? Do you think the, what about the scenario of adding UCLA that way Oregon plays 11 games and they play 11 games as, as opposed to 12. They're all against camp uh, conference foes. And obviously everybody else in the conference plays everybody. What do you think about a round Robin season? You into that? Um, I, I'm into that playing 11 games that does though, make an unfair balance of schedules in the conference. Half the teams will play six home games. Half the teams will play six away games while playing just five home. Um, I I do think in in a ideal setting, you want to play as many games as possible because that does create uh, more revenue for the league helps the schools in general uh, maybe it's a, a maybe they just do a, a, a total profit share um, for the entire 2020 football season they play 11 games every team plays 11 games every school reports their their pot you know their their revenue for for the year and then they split it 12 ways um, maybe that's a simplistic way of doing it I don't know way above my pay grade um, but my first reaction though is is if the conference is going to come out and say that they're going to play 11 games the teams that are group of five fcs schools that were scheduled to play pac-12 teams that no longer are playing them because of the the non-conference decision and then they see oregon let's say they're they're going to play hawaii on september like 19th or something they were supposed to play hawaii that's right all of a sudden Hawaii looks at it and says, wait, you said you weren't going to play on September 19th um, and you were just going to play nine conference games 
and now all of a sudden you've added two more league games, well, we're going to sue you because you were supposed to pay us a huge amount of money, which was supposed to help float, we were counting on, our entire athletic department's budget. Uh, you're still playing on this date. You're just playing a different opponent. So we want in on some of that money that you made. There's going to be a ton of tentacles that, that, that come from this. Um, I'm okay playing 11 games. I would prefer 10 because that just makes it simple. You play five home, you play five away. Everyone has a fair and easy balance, best schedule as best as possible. I guess my only retort to that, and it's not a very strong, would just be like, given the circumstances and the fact that fans might not even be in stadiums, I, I don't know how much the, the fairness sure. equity slides one way or the other based upon where the game's actually played. And I, I'd almost be like, I know you can't really do this, but like finding a way to, to find a neutral site and you just play all the games there, similar to what we're seeing. Well, um, see, and that's where the school – this is where the NCAA is really stuck between a rock and a hard place because they do not want to pay the athletes. They're doing everything that they can that's possible to prevent that from happening. And they – it's like pulling teeth to get them to agree upon just the slightest little adjustment to policy and change and rules of athletes being able to make money. Yeah. Um, and the, the reason why – the NBA and the reason why uh, MLS and we're, we're seeing these things play out in which, and, and potentially the MLB uh, where this plays out, where they can, the WNBA, where they're doing these bubble type things is because they can tell their athletes, look, if you, you don't want to come, that's totally fine. That's, we're okay with you not coming. But if you come and you're going to collect your paycheck you have to follow by these rules of the bubble. You can't go out and you can't go to a party or a club. You can't go to this restaurant. You can't order Postmates. You can't order Uber Eats. You can't go and do all of this stuff. You have to stay within this bubble to keep the entire event going. You can't tell a college athlete, all you get to do is go to this spot in Nevada or in Seattle or Washington or Arizona or wherever and play college football and do and do your academic studies. You can't tell them that because you're, they're because if you did, they're you're basically telling them they're an employee, and that would open the Pandora's box for them to just get sued out out the high heaven for lack of of appropriate pay. That's a very valid point, Matt, and and. and- obviously a lot of these hypotheticals i'm not considering uh, the big picture stuff but that's a, that's a good point in terms of like yeah like and then this maybe this is the time i think we saw what a couple of days ago um a couple of university of california players communicate i guess a list of demands or so almost of, of what they would require for them to, to to play this season so i could see this being this is a time for these student athletes to maybe jockey for some position and, and i don't know if this is the time they'll have any success with that but um certainly feels like given the circumstances where no one's, you know, a lot of people aren't working and you're going to basically rely upon these student athletes to throw them out there who aren't being financially benefited at all by, by their actions and putting themselves in risk, by the way. Um, and again, we, you know, a lot of people are, are uh, I, I guess we don't know what the long-term issues are with COVID and we don't want these student athletes to pick up on it. So yeah, no, I think good points there. I, I just think it would be fun to try to hypo- hypothesize some scenarios where, where there is maybe everything played at one place and that would remove some of that home versus home or sorry, home, home versus away element there where, where you have some unfairness in scheduling. 
All right. Final question from at MVH underscore genetics. How big of a ripple effect could California's delay on sports have? I see kids heading to college, but how does that work for non-graduated college scholarship recipients? He says it laughs in the face of academia. And one thing I would just, I guess, in kind of parsing through this question, Matt, is like, how, how will this, couldn't this get pretty dicey here in terms of the 85 scholarship limit for some of these yeah. schools? They're accepting these, these 2021 students who they weren't planning on having on their teams. And uh, are, are you concerned with kind of how this is going to, I mean, it seems like this could get real dicey in terms of, of figuring out the scholarship stuff, right? Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see play out without a doubt. Um, it, the only way I think that regardless of what, decision the NCAA wants to do they're going to have to make some kind of policy change or waiver or what have you I think for a one-time year basis maybe a couple years but I think the only way um, I could see players being allowed on campus they're probably not going to be eligible to play in the spring like let's say college football gets pushed to spring months and college players or high school athletes who are going to enroll early um, do so. I think the only way they're going to be able to do that is if the NCAA kind of creates a, a waiver in which they'll allow blue shirts. Um, and what a blue shirt means is it's a, it's a recruit who was not recruited by the school officially, meaning he wasn't offered an official scholarship. He wasn't, he never took an official visit uh, Oregon never, you know, went to evaluate this player in person. Um, that that's what's deemed as being officially recruited. And so, and how you blue shirt is all of a sudden you just it's the week before national signing day. You call Oregon coaches and say, I, I want to come here, and and I'm gonna. You've never had really much contact with me, but here I am. If you give me a scholarship, I'll come. And Oregon says yes. Uh, and the guy enrolls, but he's not eligible to, to play, uh, you know, during the 2008, you know, during the 2020 football season. I think the only way that they can get this to work is if they come out and say, every enroll, early enrollee, we will honor their scholarship. Uh, the school can carry them over for the next year, but they can't play in football games. They're not eligible. And you have to guarantee them a scholarship of the 85 during the 2021 football season and you have to guarantee everyone else that's you know that it's just there's no real easy way to say this it's gonna get extremely complicated um how do you manage bringing on when you have 85 scholarship players for the 2020 football season and now all of a sudden you've got seven guys who want to uh show up and play football you know show up and enroll early and at the same time, you've only, you know, got seven seniors who aren't going to play during the 2020 spring football year. Uh, that, that's It's going to be extremely complicated to, to manage. Yeah, I just think it has potential to be kind of disastrous. And, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, because I mean, really, like, and I think you bring a good point about maybe you say these 2021 kids, they don't get to play. Uh, well, how does that – what does the kids think? I mean, how does Tony Grimes or Victory Vaca feel about that if, they, if that wasn't something they were aware of when they made that decision, which from my understanding, it, doesn't seem, it seems like they're expecting that they'll be eligible to compete right now, right? Um, I, I just think it's all it's, – it's, it could be very interesting. To, and that's, that's the whole COVID thing. That's what it is. Everything is just turned on its head, and we're trying to make 
I guess, sense of it. And I, I think this has the potential to be really interesting, but also create some real like moral dilemmas of, of like, how do you, how do you make this work with, you know, every, most of these rosters are pretty close to set right now. They don't have a lot of room to be adding two to three to, to seven players from their 2021 recruiting classes. Um, yeah, there's, this is definitely going to be something that the NCAA has to address before a season starts. Cause otherwise you're going to be looking at some just really, really questionable rosters and some potential, like, I don't know, some, some potentially bizarre circumstances for sure. It, 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 there's just so many things that are coming with COVID that are going to have, you know, going to have to be figured out and ironed out that, I mean, does a, does a head coach want the headache of trying to juggle scholarships? Like, yeah, no, good question. Like that's going to be incredibly difficult. And at the same time, if a kid wants to come and enroll early, how are you going to tell him no? Like, I don't, I don't know how you, you say, you say no to a, a, a high level recruit that wants to come and enroll early and how at the same time, how do you sign off on, I'm going to handle juggling the complexity of, of managing scholarships during this time type of time. <laughs> Extremely tough. Yeah, I'm not envious of Mario Cristobal and, and all the other Division One head coaches and the decisions they're having to go through uh, because there's a lot and it's varied and it, it's it stopped being just football a while ago and now it's now it's a lot of other complicated things but also I'm sure great learning experiences for, for a lot of people. How do you juggle all this? Because you're right, it is it is an overwhelming, I think, process ahead of everybody. All right, that's going to do it for us here on the Odds and Audibles podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. If you've made it this far, please go and give us a review on iTunes or whatever podcast platform you listen to us. Giving us reviews helps us uh, tremendously. You don't understand. It's free. It's very easy to do. Give us a review. Give us your honest opinion of these shows and continue listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. For Eric Scopel, I'm Matt Prem. We'll talk to you later. Talk to you later, folks. Should you ever set foot outside of the hotel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow, now streaming on Paramount Plus, only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan.